Bible reading today is from Galatians chapter 3 and you'll find that on page 1152 in the Red Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. So Galatians chapter 3. And it's entitled, Faith or Observance of the Law. And then it goes on to speak about the law and the promise. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteousness will live, sorry, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Spirit. And now the law and the promise. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. 
Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly, sorry, then would, (laughs) would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith could be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. Thank you, Glennis. Have you ever turned up to a movie and it wasn't what you thought it would be? Uh, I've been to a couple like that. The funniest one I, I heard of was uh, Mike Hettenstall, our previous senior associate minister. Um, I think um, had seen the movie Almighty Bruce or Bruce Almighty and uh, thought interesting. And then a movie came out called Magic Mike. And if you know Magic Mike, you're probably the ones who are just laughing. Uh, Mike thought he'd take Lee to see Magic Mike. And they bought tickets and went in and they sat there and they discovered as the movie started that Magic Mike was a story about a male stripper. (laughs) And not about Bruce Almighty meeting God. And they promptly left. Uh, Why do I tell you that story? Um, When I sat down to write the series for Galatians a couple of months ago, you typically will sit down and you'll look at the whole book and you'll see how you're going to chop it up and 
what passages are basically speaking on what issues and you'll put a title together. And when we did that, uh, I came up with Gospel and the Law because one of the questions that um, comes up in the New Testament and people ask, how do we relate to kind of the laws that are in the Old Testament? How does a Christian relate to them? And no doubt as you were listening, there's quite a long discussion about that. Uh, but what struck me as I started to work on this more recently uh, is really that material is secondary to a more primary question uh, which relates to the Holy Spirit and it relates to how do we grow. And I want to take the time this morning to not speak on the Gospel and the Law and if you've come along uh, and you wanted to hear me speak on the Gospel and the Law and you're devastated, I'm very sorry, uh, we're going to look at today Gospel power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I know when I mention the Holy Spirit, um, there'll be a range of reactions. Some of you might be saying, finally, you're going to talk about him. Others might be saying, well, I'm intrigued. I'm glad you're going to talk about this. Um, others might be apprehensive. Uh, what is Bruce going to say? Others might be scared. Uh, I remember a number of years back, over 10, 15 years ago, um, speaking to a girl who was involved in university ministry and she said she wasn't sure what to think of the Holy Spirit. In fact, she was scared about the topic because she'd heard so many conflicting and different things. And I want to say as we come to this area, it's a very, very important area for us in our Christian life to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so let me pray that God, by his Spirit, would open our eyes to what the Word has to say and in particular what he does in our lives. Father, we do pray that you would come and by your Holy Spirit open our eyes to understand who he is and how he relates to us uh, in relationship to our walk with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you come to the passage, and I'd love you to open up, uh, I'm not going to have a very long introduction uh, in terms of telling a story of some interest. Uh, I want us to get straight down to uh, look at what the passage has to say today because uh, there's some very intriguing stuff here. And if you've got the Bibles there, open up to page 100, uh, 1152. And when you read through, um, what you'll find is there's an introductory section that starts uh, with five questions. You've then got off the back of that two examples or illustrations. One is the example of Abraham. You see that in verse 6. So consider Abraham. Uh, the next one comes up in verse 15 where it says, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. And so you've got these two illustrations that are there from Abraham as it, uh, he relates to the law in the Old Testament and one from everyday life, which is about human covenants or you might say in today's parlance, uh, human wills. But the key material is actually in these first five questions. Uh, and let me put them up on the screen for you because uh, as you read through... Um, Paul basically starts this section by just asking in rapid fire a number of questions. Uh, who has tricked you, O stupid Galatians? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? How will you mature yourselves as Christians? Have you suffered so much for nothing? How does God give you his Spirit? Now what is happening is obviously there's a lot of emotion. Um, whenever you're on the receiving end of kind of questions, bang, 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 uh, you know there's something happening, don't you? Um, there's some emotion in the room. And that's what's happening here with Paul. And there's one question in particular that really is central to all of it, and it's the third one. How will you mature yourself as Christians? 
And I think this question really is one of the key questions in all of the letters to the Galatians. How do you really grow in your faith? I want to say it's a very important question for us today. How do we grow mature, complete in our walk with God? And the big idea is this, the power to mature comes by the Spirit of God whom you receive by believing the Gospel. The power to become complete in your faith comes when the Spirit of God enters our life and works in our life and we receive him by believing. Let me just make a couple of general comments firstly about the Holy Spirit uh, before we have a look at the particulars of the passage. Um, The first thing to note is this. um, When you listen to people talk about the Holy Spirit, you'll sometimes hear people talk about it. And I want to say um, that is not how we should talk about him. And I don't use the word him in the sense of wanting to say he's a male. Uh, God is beyond gender at that level. But when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, he speaks about him or he. And he uses that language because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. Now, I'll come and speak a little bit more about that in a few moments. But you see, when you hear people talk about Spirit and Holy Spirit and kind of spirits in religions, often what they're talking about, um, this is not in the Christian faith, but in world religions, um, the Spirit is an emanation from God. He's a force of nature. Uh, He's a pulse. He's this kind of energy. Now, that is not what we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And he is a person and he's personal. And I want to emphasize that uh, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, you are encountering uh, the personal nature and character of God in spirit. So that's the first thing to note. The Holy Spirit is personal. Um, the second thing is um, we experience him. And I was talking about this with one of the 8 o'clock members and they were saying, and, and he's a very well-read and well-thought-out Christian man who's been a Christian for many years. He said it's kind of beyond our understanding how this all works. And I said it is. And it's not that we can't understand some things. Absolutely we can. We've been given information here uh, in terms of the scriptures to understand the Spirit of God. Uh, But there's a reality that you won't understand him at one level until you experience him. And we need to experience and understand at the same time and reflect together on what scripture is revealing to us about the Holy Spirit. This is not an academic exercise. To know God fundamentally means that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And I want you to stop and just kind of take that in for a moment. Um, We're talking about God who is holy, who is so unlike us, who is pure, who is righteous, who is powerful, who created this whole world, who is beautiful. We're talking about his spirit dwelling in us. Now, it's profound. 
And it's worth saying the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for the more charismatic types in the church. And I think sometimes people have treated him that way with a sense of fear and suspicion. Well, that's what charismatics are into, but we kind of read the Bible. If you've become a Christian, you by definition have received the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you actually haven't become a Christian. Do you want me to say that again? If you've become a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit. If you've not received the Holy Spirit, you've actually not become a Christian. We'll see that from the text very shortly. So the second thing is we need to experience the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, when we experience the Holy Spirit, he is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And we're encountering the reality of the Trinity. And when you read about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it stands alone, but often you'll, receive, you'll, you'll see him being referred to as the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Jesus. And in our creeds, we talk about the fact that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, why make mention of that? Because you see, you can't understand the Holy Spirit separate from the work of the Father and the Son. And we're going to see this very closely here today and in a fortnight when we come back to it. The verse we'll look at in a fortnight's time is Galatians 4.6. And it says there, have a look forward. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. And so the Holy Spirit is intimately tied because he proceeds from the Father and the Son so that we know the Father and the Son. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit what we're talking about is this, a personal encounter and experience of the Trinitarian God who comes and get this, he dwells in us personally. It is profound. It's incredible. And it's real. So what does this important passage teach us specifically about the Holy Spirit? and the Christian life. Well, there's two things, and they really are profound questions. first one is this, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, if you've been around churches for a while, uh, you'll know that there um, has been controversy over the years about this very question. Uh, there's been different opinions. I don't want to go into that, and I particularly don't want to polarise uh, people who've got different experiences. Uh, what we actually need to work on is actually our unity in Christ and understanding his spirit, how he works in us. And so let's start by looking at Galatians 3, verse 1 and 2. Have a look with me. Some key words are up on the screen. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Now, what's Paul saying? Well, he's saying this, someone's tricked you. Now, one translator, um, it's an older guy from uh, when I was a young person, um, J.B. Phillips put it this way, Oh, you dear idiots, 
of Galatia. Oh, you dear idiots. Surely you can't be that stupid. Now, hopefully I won't be saying, oh, you dear idiots, here is to Matthew. Surely you can't be that stupid. But that's what he's saying to the church there. Oh, you dear idiots. Uh, there is a sense of partial warmth with rebuke. Are you so stupid? Who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? It's almost like um, a magician has waved a wand over their mind and they've forgotten everything that Paul taught them and all of their experience that flowed from that. Paul says they were presented with a message, a graphic message. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, interestingly, the word graphic is the word that is behind that in the original language in terms of clearly portrayed. Christ was graphically portrayed as crucified to them. And you see, he said, you saw it with your very eyes. Now, Paul is not saying that, yes, you were there when Jesus was crucified at Golgotha on Easter Good Friday. What he's saying is, I presented to you such a vivid and graphic picture of the crucifixion that you saw him. You saw that reality in your own mind's eyes as to what took place. You see, the gospel is not advice on how to live a good life, though it will change your life. Uh, the gospel is news about someone who has lived the life you could never live and has died in your place. It is news, not advice. You see, it's not general instruction about a man named Jesus. It's specific proclamation about his death and his resurrection. And because of that, we can be justified freely, declared righteous, declared innocent, and welcomed into the family of God. And it's not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And we've been looking at that over the last few weeks. You see, the gospel is not advice to us as men and women. It is good news to us as men and women. It's not an invitation to do anything, but it's a declaration of what's been done for us. It's not a demand, but rather it's an offer. It's not an obligation. It's actually a gift. And we simply have to receive it. And when you receive this good news and believe it, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And you look back at verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You see, what Paul is saying here is um, when you became a Christian, when you believed, God filled you with his spirit. And you know that. You see, he's speaking to their experience of what happened when they believed. They knew that they had received God's spirit into their life. Let me just stop and compare two forms of Christianity. Uh, there is what I will talk about later, biblical Christianity, which means that you are born again and you enter the kingdom of God and you experience him and you know him personally. But there is another form of Christianity that has been around for many years. It's a cultural Christianity. And cultural Christianity looks like this. Um, people 
kind of accept that the Christian faith is a good thing. Uh, they're happy to even come to church. And they may even be happy to call themselves Christian. Now, they typically don't always come to church regularly, though some may. They're moral. They're decent people. Typically, they have a conscience and they will um, understand that there are right and wrongs and they want the world to be a good place. They're against evil. They typically like marriage, good, honest, hard work and often can be pillars of society. And they fit in. And they're happy to believe in the creed that God exists. Jesus came, he died. And they recognise that God can help people. Cultural Christians typically like the morality of the Christian faith because it helps them to live what they think is a better life. Uh, They often think the church is a good thing. But talk of being born again, uh, talk of knowing God personally in your life, uh, talk of being filled with the Spirit, of having your sins forgiven, of having your life changed, well, that's a bit radical. That's a bit spiritual, isn't it? I just want to turn up and go to church and then go home. I didn't come here to be changed. Have you ever met people like that? I wondered as I prepared if any here today would identify with that. That you know a form of the Christian faith in an outward sense. You understand things about the Christian faith in an intellectual sense. But you're yet to actually encounter the living God in the person of his crucified son and know the reality of his grace and forgiveness that is found only at the cross because you have dwelt there, you have seen the Christ graphically crucified for you. You see people worship with a sense of joy and wonder and you wonder, why are they so excited? Why do they speak of loving God? Of God being beautiful? Perhaps you've never encountered the God who gave his son personally for you and been born again. Now stop, I thought you were going to speak about the Holy Spirit and now you're talking about the cross of our Lord Jesus. What's the go? Uh, You see, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, he necessarily talks about the gospel. Because it's by believing the gospel you receive the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you haven't received the Holy Spirit and been born again until you understand the gospel and believe the gospel. And that's why Paul is saying to the Galatians, Who has bewitched you, oh dear idiots? When you heard the gospel, when you saw that Jesus was not just dying on a cross for the world, but for you. When he was not just dying for sins, but your sin. Not just dying for our inability in every conceivable way to ever, ever meet God's standards. When you saw that it was actually you there, 
being crucified. Your hearts were melted, weren't they? You see, one of our greatest struggles, I think, is this. I think everyone will admit that they do wrong things. We have a conscience. And we will admit that we do wrong things. I think the hardest thing to ever come to grips with is this, that there's actually nothing. Nothing. Nothing that you can bring to God to find acceptance with him. We are completely bankrupt, morally, spiritually, ethically. And you see, we struggle with that, and that struggle is called self-righteousness. That sense that the self has some righteousness to bring to the table with God, and that on that basis he will accept me. But the reality and the message of the gospel is this, actually you can't bring anything yourself. There is no righteousness within you that you can bring to the table and do business with God. The only righteousness available is that that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and it's offered as a gift. That's wonderful. And he says, believe. Just receive. As he's dying there, he's praying, forgive. I forgive you. And I want to ask you, friends, have your eyes been opened by the Spirit of God to see the wonder of the cross? And that free forgiveness flows. And that all you need to do is believe and receive him into your life. You see, the Galatians had started there and then they thought they could move on from there in their own efforts and obey the law. Friends, we never move on from there. And we receive the Spirit of God as we see the wonder of the Gospel. Have you ever found yourself thinking, Jesus is beautiful? Well, that comes when the Spirit of God softens your heart. And you see what he's done for you. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? If you're here today and you're not sure if you've received the Spirit, look up to the cross and see a Saviour who loves you and open your heart and your life to him and lay down any sense of self-righteousness at the foot of the cross and say, nothing I bring, I simply come and cling to your cross. Why don't we do that right now? Are there people here today who need to receive him and need to have the Spirit of God come in and open your eyes and fill you with his love and grace and forgiveness? If that's you right now, why don't we just pray? I'm going to stop right now and just pray for us if you need to receive him. Open your heart and mind and cry out to him. Father, forgive me for ever thinking I could bring something to you. I look and I see Jesus dying this day for me in my place. Forgive me and fill me with your love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's how you receive the Spirit, you believe. But how do you mature by the Spirit? 
You see, look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Now, if you like Greek words, there's an interesting Greek word here. It's translated in this translation with to attain your goal. In another translation, it is translated to be perfected. And it's from the word epitaleo. It's where teleo is the end. And it means to complete or to finish. You see, a telescope helps you see the end. And what Paul is saying is, you started with the Spirit, you began with the Gospel, now you're trying to complete yourself with what? It's actually by the flesh, by human effort. And this is the lie that has bewitched them. They think they can mature themselves as Christians in their own strength. Having begun with the gospel, having been filled with the Spirit, they now think they can actually grow and mature in their own strength. And the issue in that day was that they needed to obey the law. And that's why you get this long digression talking about how the law is actually not going to bring life, it brings condemnation. It's only in Christ Jesus that you have life. And he keeps thumping and thumping and thumping. Look at Abraham. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But look at a covenant that gives a promise. That's what we hang on to. And you see, the gospel is not the ABC of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. You never move on from the gospel. You start the Christian life by believing the gospel. You mature in the Christian life by believing that gospel more deeply. Now, before you say with Paul, oh, you foolish Galatians, how could they be so dumb and start wanting to get circumcised and blind? Ask yourself this question. In wanting to grow as a Christian or wanting to help someone grow as a Christian, how many times has your advice come down to this? You need to try harder. Actually, you need to try harder to read the Bible and pray. Actually, you need to try harder to forgive yourself. Actually, you need to try harder to not be angry and to have some self-control. Actually, you need to try harder and you need to be at church every week. Actually, you need to try harder and be a better Christian. Have you ever heard that? I think I've heard it from my own voice. Because it's what we say, isn't it? We start with the gospel, but we move on to human effort. And we think if we try harder, we'll become complete. You know what, I've never heard the Apostle Paul say that, have you? You know what he does? He keeps saying, think about who you are in Christ. Think about the Gospel. It's all through his ethical commands. They're all based in the reality of the Gospel and about grappling with what that means for us. We think, isn't it great that God got us into his kingdom? Now we need to work hard to try and stay there. And that is a lie. The only way you'll stay there is by dwelling deeper and deeper and deeper in the gospel and being filled more and more and more with his spirit. It's why when you get to the end of this letter, what does he say? Keep in step with the spirit. Walk with the spirit. He says in verse 14, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit help us mature as Christians? I just want to say a couple of things in closing. You need to know who you have in you. 
If you've been born again, what we need to know is actually who is in us. Listen to the way the scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of holiness. We need to pray that he will give us strength to be holy. He can do that. He is the paraclete. Jesus' favourite description, which means he's the helper. He's the encourager. He's the counsellor. He's the one who walks with us. He's the spirit of grace, Zechariah says, who comforts us. Romans 8, he's the spirit of life who sets us free from the law of sin and death. Ephesians 1.13, he's the spirit of assurance who guarantees our eternal inheritance. You know one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian faith? It's the only religion that will offer you assurance that is guaranteed. And do you know how we know it? It's in the spirit who comes and ministers to our soul and says, you belong. You are loved. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And Paul prays that we might have him at work in us so that we might know that glorious inheritance that we have. He's the spirit of power and of love and in self-discipline who will give us the strength to become complete in him. He's the spirit of glory who rests on us, 1 Peter 4. He's the spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth as we read the word of God. And here's the wonderful thing. And this is how we grow and mature. He is the Spirit of God. And he takes all that the Son has accomplished on the cross and he applies it to our hearts and minds so that we know who we are. Friends, do you know who you are in Christ? If you're not sure, pray, Spirit of God, help me. Strengthen me. Because he will strengthen you. He will guide you. He will protect you. And he will provide for you. And so I wonder this day, friends, how many of us are struggling to become complete in Christ and mature? You know what we need? We need the Spirit of God to be at work in us as we believe the gospel deeper and deeper and deeper. And friends, I'd like to pray for anyone who would like be filled again with the Spirit of God and to be led by Him. And I just want to have a moment just for us to be quiet as we close. And if today you want more of the Spirit of God in your life because you want to believe deeper and deeper in the Gospel, I just want to invite you to stand and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me too. Friends, we need the Spirit of God to fill us so that we might become complete in all that Christ has done for us and that we might walk worthily of Him, being led by the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father. Friends, if you would like me to pray for you this morning, I just want to invite you to stand if you want more of God's Spirit in your life. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for us this day. I thank you for who you are, our Father. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Son. Father, help us to just understand the incredible wonder of the Gospel. 
and to grow deeper and deeper in knowing you in the power of your spirit. And I pray for each person who has stood here this morning because they want more of you. They want to grow complete in you, mature in you. Perhaps they want to be filled with your spirit so they are filled with joy and peace and love and patience and self-control and goodness and have power to witness to you in this world. Father, I pray this day that you would, in each person's life, fill them with your spirit, the spirit of the risen Son, so that they might grow complete in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.